Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right. All right, welcome to the podcast, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is Father Mike. Father Mike, Father John, good to be with you here in Roma. Yeah, and this beautiful Saturday evening. Nice Saturday evening. It's, uh, it's getting pretty toasty here in Rome. Weather's heating up. It's time the for evenings us to are nice. Evenings are nice. It's some nice weather. We have the sound. This is like an unusual sound for me, but the sound of seagulls ah. squawking. I like. I lo- I've always like enjoyed listening to the birds. To this morning's was uh, this morning's gospel reading was um, don't worry about things. Pay attention to the birds, and I've always really loved that. Except yeah. this. Roman experience has kind of ruined that with the seagulls because they squawk. They don't sound good. I thought I was going to get attacked by seagulls last night. I was up on the uh, on the terrace on the high high roof of the mm-hmm. house. Nice view, nice sunset last night. And you uh, do that? I was with Andy. I, didn't know. I was with Father Andy Mattingly. Oh yeah, we he does that every time. And uh, but the seagulls were like squawking and they were hovering and I was like, we're going to get attacked by seagulls. And he oh, goes, oh, it's crazy. Last week I knocked their nest off the roof and I was like, that's oh, why that's... they're coming for us, man. So He's the culprit. We didn't Did you get... see that movie, that Alfred Hitchcock movie with the birds? No, nah, never saw it. Oh, it's like terrifying. Yeah, they're, they're kind of weird. Did you know that the seagull is the Utah State bird? No. Somebody asked, that's really Bob bizarre. Rogers was asking... If they had seagulls in Wyoming. And I was like, seagulls in Wyoming? Are you kidding me? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the state bird of Utah, according to Father Bob Rogers, canon lawyer, about to take his well, I would if, if I believe anyone, it's yeah, Father it's Bob Rogers. It's Father Bob, yeah. But I, would, I don't know. I might check the Mythbusters on that. We might have to check that. Oh, here's another one for Mythbusters. I got a spider bite that's been annoying me. Mm. And I think, I, I'm pretty sure it's a spider bite. But... Uh, there's that kind of urban legend that we consume all these spiders over our lifetime. Have you heard that? Yeah. I think everybody's heard that, but Why? I'm not sure that's true. Yeah, like two you eat two spiders a year or something like that? Yeah, I mean, it's some... Somebody is telling us this as children, and they're going to suffer for this, because I've been plagued by that thought yeah, for like exactly. 25 years. Everybody, everybody thinks of those yeah. nighttime spiders. So you ate a spider last night, possibly. I do all the time, apparently. Well, we're going to wash that spider down today with a little bourbon. Sour Patch Kids. And a 15-pound pack of Sour Patch Kids. Thanks to, i got to grab my notes, the Caranta family, right? Oh, nice. They dropped off a very large gift package of bourbon, which we're drinking, and a ton of Sour Patch Kids. I mean, we're talking... Yeah. We are talking, like, global global size. That's the thing. You know, if you really care about somebody... You give them a pack of, like a bag of Sour Patch Kids. Yeah. We're looking if at you, th- three and a half pounds of Sour Patch if Kids. If you we're know that your tonight. friend is having a bad, bad day, you yeah. give them one of those like movie theater boxes yeah. of Sour Patch Kids. But if you want to kill somebody by heart att- quick heart attack, you give them this thing, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is like a bag the size. You know, it's, it, it, you could feed an army with Sour Especially Patch Kids. when you give them to guys like us who, like, okay, when you don't have women around, you make bad choices. <laughs> like women, there's a reason why, you know, civilization continues to advance. And part of that is, you know, that women keep us alive. I think if without them, we get in trouble. Not to say we don't like being celibate. It's great. But there's something to be said about we, yeah. we could eat that whole that thing tonight. And, you know, just not even. I would be much better dressed, too, I think. If I had 
yeah. women around. You'd have a haircut, probably. Oh, well, I've been waiting on that. Actually, I'm getting impulsive. This is a bad sign. <laughs> it's getting very hot out, and my hair is like, I don't. It's like, I don't know if it's, it's kind of thin, but it's like there's a lot of it. It becomes kind of a nest on my head, <laughs> and it's very hot. It's like one of those Russian hats. Yeah. Well, it's kind of hobbit-like. I think you're, you've got hobbit hair. But Oh, yeah. So the point is, I don't want to, like, I'm afraid to cut it off because I'm trying to grow it out for mullet that would, like, so I can ride with well, Father you, Nathan Goble. Oh. And there's no way I can, like, match his mullet. But Did you watch that video of Father Nathan jumping into the pool, slow motion? Yes. In the 1920s bathing suit. This is re- revealing Set a lot here. Set to a hip-hop soundtrack. Set to a hip-hop soundtrack. But the amazing thing was... His mullet is so long. And this is the mullet part. This is just the back flap thing. When he went airborne, it looked like when you're looking outside of an airplane and the flaps come up, you know? Oh, yeah, the whole I thing. I mean, it looked like a cape flying in the back. <laughs> yeah, and it was just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was like that squirrel in Mario <laughs> Brothers, you know? It's like, like his the, veil. It was unbelievable. So God bless you and your new parish who has inherited the... So there's something going on right now. We're all kind of getting crazy. I'm kind of like, I don't want to shave for the next year. You're growing the hair out. Goebel is perfecting the mullet. He's becoming the form of the mullet. Well, the year has just ended. Congratulations to Father John Neppel for um, getting through the year, but also like rocking his exams. Thank you. That's a really stressful time around here. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how to explain that experience. Can you explain the experience of like going into one of these exams? They're only they're usually this this oral exam where you're asked questions by your professor for 10 minutes. It doesn't seem like that intimidating, but no. they can ask you anything, and on the basis of those 10 minutes where you're like put on the spot, you're going to be graded for the whole semester. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it other than they don't, they don't tell you anything. It's like they're masters of intimidation. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you, and that's you, part of the whole thing. You finish thing. a that's course, intentional. and like, I think... In one of my nine classes, I knew what the exam was roughly going to be like. Other than that, it was just show up, and you better know everything that we ever talked about, which was in Italian, by the way, and which you don't understand, but everybody oh, yeah. else understands because they're all Opus Dei dudes from Spain. And uh, Did you learn anything about yourself? Bubbles. I remember like I would get, I'd get the butterflies, and I hadn't had that experience for a long time, maybe since like preaching the first few times. Yeah. And uh, and then I would also like despair immediately. So I'd come back to the house and we'd have a meal soon after an exam. And I would always say and be convinced I failed that. Yeah, I failed that exam. Yeah, that was awful. And I did terrible. I had one thing where I was like cramming before and then the professor didn't show up. Mm-mm. And I was fine at 1030 last Tuesday. But by 1050, I was I had completely mentally crashed. It was like a oh. breakdown because everything was in my head and I was ready to go. And that 20 minutes, I was just like, I just totally Maybe lost. Maybe it was a test. That was the test. Totally lost my cool. So thank you, Professor Blank, for showing up 30 minutes late and probably shanking me. So, But we're done. We're done. It's over. Thanks be to God. Yeah, you did it. Now we it's get to relax. It's a big relief, too. That's yep. the other piece. Yeah, exams. Anybody who's in school right now knows that they know, or anybody who's been, you, you know what it's like. It's just... Not a fun time. So, yeah. well, you survived. No, thank you. Well, we're talking tonight about a uh, a very funny character, and uh, so this is a, a a tribute podcast. If we can move into the topic, yeah, comedian, uh, we comedian, had a, funny or notorious funny. I think he's just 
I think he's like, uh, I don't know how to describe it. He's got the humor of a uh, of a real Christian, like Chesterton type thing. Except he's not British; he's oh, Puerto yeah. Rican. But before we do that, we had a hipster dinner tonight, and uh, which is perfect because we're talking about a, a member of Kim, uh, Communion Liberation, which is kind of hipster. Yeah, of all, all the hipster. movements, they're they're pretty hipster. Absolutely, you know, Margie Haight and these types, you know. And uh, Vincenzo Petrocelli, the godfather of uh, CL at uh, Benedictine, who's now part of the, um, um, what do you call him? Charles Borromeo. Charles Borromeo boys, yeah. Okay. Who gave me this book that we're going to talk about tonight. And a special shout out to him. He said this. He wrote in there, he said, Father John, Father Nathan, Father Mike, in gratitude for the podcast, this book was written by a man who would have thoroughly enjoyed the podcast above all the banter. In Christ, ah. Vincent. So here we are. Lorenzo Albacetti, God at the Ritz. A priest phys- physicist talks about science, sex, politics, and religion. Oh, yeah. God this at is the a Ritz. wonderful little it? book. Yeah. You know what else I like about Vince is that he gave me that book on the condition that I give it away. So now I'm giving it to you, and you got to read it, and then you got to pass it on. It looks like he stole it from Montgomery County public library i think he did it had a 99 <laughs> cent uh thing on it so he i hate to throw you under the bus there Vince, that's right i just i'm you know i'm an academic i like i respect libraries yeah so those of you who are looking for a little uh light reading from a really funny character i'd, I'd highly recommend god at the ritz now before we go any further though uh we have to give a shout out to sunit seleski as well who absolutely loves father monsignor lorenzo albacetti who oh, has nice. since passed who died in uh 2014 but uh we had a we had a toast to him on the uh, the night he passed, and Casinit uh, is a uh, a fellow big fan of uh, of our friend here Albacetti. Now I don't I mean I know his name, but I don't know is, does he write these humor books, or is this Ooh. just kind of unique? Is there an Italy game tonight? There's cheering out in the streets. You hear that? We had the Euro Cup. Yeah, going the on Euro right Cup. Now. That, that could be anything. They were cheering. That could they be beat end of the Sweden. year. Yeah, they beat Sweden. Whoa, or whoa, whoa. That's that's a quite the feat. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, they're famous for their great soccer. Um, okay, Lorenzo Albacetti. Lorenzo Albacetti. Okay, he's from Puerto Rico, but he's got an Italian name. Yeah, Very Italian, Italian, name. Italian name. Puerto Rico. Born in 1941. Just died uh, two years ago. Physicist by training, and then he did an Angelicum doctorate and was ordained in 1972 um, as a priest of Washington D.C. But I think he oh, spent okay. a lot of his time up in New York City. He was the. I'm going to get in trouble for this. The responsible. Più mm, meno, right? Something like that. I think they say responsible. Yeah, yeah. but there was Chris Bassage. There, there, it's all these different. Oh, okay. I think Who he was, was the response. Uh, Vince is going to be like, you butchered the podcast. And Albacetti, he was. I think he's the responsible for the priests, members of Communion Liberation, not the fraternity of Saint Charles Borromeo. Me pod around the world or in the in states? The, in the United States. In the United so States. he was a big wig. That and sounds we'll just right. leave it at that. He was a capo in the United States for Communion Liberation, which is a movement that we both love. And uh, he is a just a funny character. So first time I heard about Albacetti was uh, John Gailey uh, was talking about him. Um, this was years ago, and he had just gotten a debate with uh, the famous militant atheist Hitchens. You know mm, Hitchens, mm-hmm. the Brit. And um, at one point, Hitchens is kind of like just frustrated because he, he's he's getting all these crazy answers from this priest physicist, and he goes, 
I thought that I was arguing with a theist. And, and he just kind of keeps going on and on and on about... <laughs> yeah. Because Albacete is this just like wild character. And he's... It was like watching him slip out of everything. So like Hitchens would try and put him in this box and give you the typical atheist arguments, but he just couldn't pin down yeah. Albacete. And the other thing I loved about... I listened to the uh, part of the uh, talk that was online recently. He was just so so funny and so charming and but not like in that false way but just in a sense of like levity i was like this is the way a christian should be in the sense that he doesn't take himself seriously and he just kind of likes to laugh and and try and kind of build some bridges here with this guy and you could feel like hitchens had this real polished british thing i think that's half of it they sound really smart because that accent is so beautiful yeah but uh yeah, but Albacete... That's why we put. That's why we make them villains in all our movies. That's true. That's you know, true. like if you want this guy to look legit, like dangerous, make him a Brit, or yeah, somehow like genius. Yeah, make him a Brit. But or so, if you, we, we sometimes we have really dumb characters too. Dumb villains. Well, no, like um, I don't know. I'm thinking of Mr. Bean, but that's actually like a English production oh yeah like the monty python thing it's uh, yeah, yeah sometimes they they're goofy and the office the british version of the office supposedly wasn't that funny i don't know if you ever watched that they're a little bit too clever i don't really like that humor a whole yeah. lot speaking of that monsignor john walsh i was in england last week and he wanted to listen to the podcast on 4q5769 or whatever that one was yes and he i could tell he felt very uncomfortable with the banter oh and no. he loved the content which oh, was well, that's good. which was i was very impressed I learned two things about the podcast, actually listening to one. Number one, you're a very good teacher. Oh, thank you. And number two, I'm very obnoxious. I was like <laughs> saying all this stupid stuff you're while you're trying, trying to, you're trying yeah, to lay that's out. that's our podcast. It's supposed to be kind of. I was of... like, man, I am really annoying to listen to. Well, the thing is, okay, like we academics, you'll get there, my friend, um, can bore people with lectures. Yes. So it's nice to Spice break it up. in Spice and it up, mix yeah. it up. So I don't hold it against so you. So while she was listening, I don't think he's going to continue to listen. He's just slightly above the age where podcasting makes sense, and um, but he very much so enjoyed it. But yeah, the Brits didn't get our banter either from my experience of it. So there's, oh, okay. there's something not working. Well, Anyways, uh, well, let me j- just like a yeah a message to the Brits. Okay, if you're out there listening, the ch- the church in England needs a lot of priests. So if you're a young guy who could be a priest, but is afraid to consider that. That's my challenge to you right now because their church needs more and religious too, yeah. I suppose. But they're kind of hurting for priests hurting. these days. And it's such a beautiful. You have such a beautiful communion of saints, English saints praying for you. The history is amazing. Oh yeah. But Albacete, Albacete, God, God at the Ritz, God like at hanging the Ritz. out at the beach. So the story of this book, and again, this is not like a, a very um, academic book. This isn't a boring book. I'm sure they're getting nervous hearing us recommend books, but this is a really fun, easy read. Pick it up for the summer. I think it's out of print, unfortunately, but you can find it. In 1997, PBS was doing this production on John Paul II, and uh, and they had this big promotion thing at the Ritz-Carlton for all the people who were involved. This is in Pasadena, California. Al Bassetti shows up, and he describes it as, quote, a cockroach at a party of hens. I guess that's a Puerto Rican phrase, you know? Uh, that's what he felt like, you know, just totally out of place. But he spent. I don't understand that analogy. Well, that's are, Puerto, that, are you Puerto Rican? Do they, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> do you know who is Puerto Rican? Do the Rican? hens eat the Sarah cockroaches? Sophia, Sarah Sophia Haynes just, is Puerto Rican. They're very strange. Um, 
I think well, she's I give the, it. I give it to you. I don't know the Sarah cockroach. Sophia. I guess the hens. Sarah Sophia, if you get this, please inform Sarah me. Sarah Sophia, please listen to this the logic and let us know in that analogy. Why do you? Why do you, really as a fun. Puerto Rican, say that they must eat Is cockroaches? It that, like that song, La Cucaracha. I don't know. Sorry, I shouldn't push. No, it's a really. These are good questions. <laughs> yes. I, oh, speaking of good, uh, speaking no. of saying stupid things on the podcast, I'm already getting beat up over um, the last time we recorded, and I must have been hammered because I said uh, device. I said, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> "Why do we?" I say loved it. Device, and you were like, "We say twice." I, I just Lajoie uh, laid me out today already, so I'm like, "Oh, here it that comes." That was that was fantastic. Yeah, that was. See, we do not edit this. And that was would have been tempting. Always I, our, I imagine. Always our uh, our go to. So, um, so anyways, he goes to the Ritz Carlton and he hangs out with people. and He's just having drinks and sitting by the pool for a week and talking to people. And he says this. This is why he wrote this book. Uh, he said one of the most disturbing points is that people's problems with the church uh, are not specific points of doctrine or morals, but on the very nature of the religious claim to truth. So it's a crisis of okay. religiosity more than it is a crisis of doctrine or morals. Yeah. So, th- so it's not just like these particular issues, but it's the whole deeper religious sense that is being uprooted and uh, removed from the hearts and minds of modern men and women. And yeah. that's what he found to be really disturbing. And it's I think that's like why I wrote this I book. It's kind of like if I believed in anything, then I'd give your, give your Catholic thing a, a shot. Right. Because it's pretty good. It's pretty legit as a religion. Right. But I'm just not a religious person. And that would sum it up, right? It's, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. How many times have we, have we heard that one, you know? Right. And one of the things I love about Communion Liberation, about Giassani, the founder, is uh, the way that he, anthropologically, so he's putting back into the human person what the religious sense is. That you don't, you don't have a choice, like, if you're religious or not. You are religious because you're a human being. And that's mm-hmm. what Albus said he explores in this book to say, well, what does that actually look like? You know, what does it mean to, to have this religious sense? And that's what was happening in that debate with Hitchens is, is Hitchens would try and knock him around on these little typical issues that we hear. But Albus said he kept going for the deeper thing. Yeah. So much so that Hitchens didn't even, he's like, am I arguing with a Christian right now? Am I arguing with a, a theist? Yeah. Because a he was talking person. about, yeah. He's redefining that. That's cool. He also has. Is it, is it a project? I mean, you might want to come back to this, but is it a project that you you think is Giussani's project that Albacetti represents and loves and um, is particularly interested in living out of, or is it Albacetti's particular mm. kind of genius or? Interest? Yeah, that's a good question. This is where I'm going to get in trouble because I really don't know what I'm talking about. But I would say this: it seems to me that at the heart of Giussani's project is the is restoring the religious sense to modern man. Right, yeah. Albacetti, in particular, as a physicist, is concerned about, okay, given the structure, the existential structure of the religious sense, how can we reapproach the question of faith and science? Because he's a physicist, so he's hanging out with a lot of science people who respect him. Mm -hmm. And he talks about that in the book. So he's got a number of just like really amazing... um, insights and kind of one-liners that I, uh, I really kind of kept coming back to. Um, and some funny stuff as well. He talked about how much he loves Aquinas because he's fat and Mediterranean, you know, because Alba said he was a big, he was a big he's man. A big guy. And, uh, yeah. But uh, I'm just going to hit on three, three lines that I liked of his, or three points that he made in this book. And I have three pages, so you're lucky, right? I'm yeah. just going to pull out. 
He does three have three ones. pages. I have three pages because I really like. Well, this do book. whatever you want. I'm I'm interested. Yeah, do whatever you want. Um, okay. One of the things that he's interested in is um, rationality. So rationality is the is the kind of the the bridge between science and faith. So how do we engage the modern world, which basically has replaced science or has replaced faith with with science, so to speak? I believe in science. I've heard people say that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a he great says famous quote from Nacho Libre. Nacho Libre, go ahead. Well, that's it. That's it. I that's be- it. I believe in science. I believe in science. Yeah. Here's some other quotes that come to mind, but we'll, we'll hold off on <laughs> stretchy pants. That. Stretchy pants. Um, the uh, and so what he's uh, he has this line. He says that anybody who is um, committed to rationality, basically or reason, I can enjoy many cappuccinos with them. And what he means by that is, if you're if you're interested in in rationality, not in the kind of really abstracted sense, but just the meaning of things. If you want to know the meaning yeah, of things, yeah. no matter where you're at, no matter where you're, where you're coming from, we can enjoy a lot of cappuccinos together. And I think that that's, that's where we got to meet people a lot of times is um, there's a lot of people out there who are not interested in that. They're just living really superficial lives um, and just kind of consuming and, and living and watching football. And that's fine they're a lot harder to engage than people who are actually thinking about it, but maybe really far from Christ or from the church. Yeah. And those are the kind of conversations that I think Albacetti was saying, let's, let's get down to it with them and let's actually enjoy that. And I, in my experience in being a Boulder was, those are my favorite people. You know, those are Thinkers. the ones that are, people yeah. are really thinking and who are going to challenge us, but also are going to, we're pursuing this common thing, which is rationality. Like what, are the, what is the meaning of things? Because they're not far from, the religious questions, which are the questions of transcendence. So where yeah. is my origin? What is my end and what am I meaning? This is the religious sense, so to speak. And this isn't just like a, a, a sales ploy or something, you know, like something to look out for while you're ev- evangelizing. It's like every human being, it's part of being a human being right. to ask the question, what is truth? Right. And to look around for that, whether you're religious, whether you're not, whether you belong to any particular religion to say, you know, what is what do things mean? What does the world mean? What does my life mean? What are all these things? Um, yeah, what's the truth of all this? Right. Uh, that's that's a, just a human question, and one that really makes us whole. So there's something that's it's, it's contributes to life. Um, we live more. We live more happily. We live more fully when we're asking big questions and pursuing the truth and you can be a you know you can be a, a, a doctoral student and not ask the big questions stop asking the big questions right. and i think a lot of people so at some point along the way just stop asking big questions right and especially with an education system that moves us all into specialization where we can't even have a conversation outside of our field you know yeah um yeah what you just said would be i think albacetti would would point to that because he talks about the reduction of desire yeah, I thought this was really interesting. So we have this innate sense for transcendence, this desire to transcend ourselves. We're not satisfied. Like, I always talk about my dog, Niblet. Um, Niblet was fine, probably forever in purgatory for gluttony and sloth. Um, <laughs> Niblet was pretty happy every day just doing nothing, you know? And there was no evidence of any sign or desire to transcend oneself. There was no nothing, just 
Day to day, do the eat, thing. Eat, hang out on the rug. Eat, hang out on the rug. Puke on the carpet. I could have killed that dog. <laughs> yeah. He would be laying on the hardwood floor, and then I would watch him, and I'd be like, "Uh oh." And I'd be like, "Go outside," and he would just go, "Uh," and he'd just <laughs> run over to the carpet and puke on the carpet. It's like, why don't you just puke on the hardwood floor? But that was Niblet. <laughs> Niblet did not have a desire and innate thirst for transcendence. Uh, but the human being does, and the problem is, if we want to get rid of that religious sense. We have to suppress our desire. Mm. So we actually become less human, and uh, we, we literally reduce our desires. So we lose the ability to desire. Um, to give a rather graphic um, example of this, um, I was talking to somebody about NFP and um, just marital life. And if people don't have a built-in structure of, um, of renunciation and some kind of ascetical practice, they just you know, just go at it whenever they want. They are actually going to lose their desire for love. They mm. lose eros. They lose romance. Yeah. But the couples that have that, this is my experience in the parish, couples that have this sense of NFP, abstinence, importance of that, can't just always act on the desires for the sake of a deeper transcendence. They're, they're, the beauty of their heart and the, the purification of eros in their heart actually grows. Kind of stokes the fire, yeah. So, like, the, the saints are the real lovers, the mm. saints are the ones who have the deepest and, and truest desires because their hearts are fully rehabilitated. And I think that's funny. We think of the faith as going to destroy Eros. We're all repressed celibates and all Catholics, and we, when we impose that on everybody else, and it's like, are you kidding me? I didn't know how to desire until I, became, until I came back to Christ. Mm. And that's Augustine. He talks about that all the time. Like That's what happiness and holiness is, is the, is the true ordering of desire. Yeah, so, you have that old yeah. dictum, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And uh, it's, yeah, it's it's just, it's true about, I, I think that's part of the wisdom, of uh, ancient wisdom of the church of uh, fasting. Um, but just, yeah, generally speaking, uh, you can, it's interesting to think, we, uh, I think all too often think of desire as something that just happens. It's just like a passion that's there, and then it happens in the right circumstances or whatever, rather than like a, a, a virtue that you can work on or something you could pay attention to and it changes within us and mm-hmm. these kinds of things. So, Yeah, we need to be men and women of desire. That's, that's at the very heart of the religious sense and the rehabilitation of the heart. He calls it the, I love this phrase, the secularization of the interiority. So we talk about secularization, which means the removal of God, the loss of transcendence, and he's talking about the second when that happens interiorly, it's the collapse of desire in order to remove the thirst for transcendence. I want to be God. I don't want to think about deeper questions. So I have to kill desire in my heart, and I secularize my interior life. And it becomes this, what Balthazar would call the anima technica vacua, like the void. Right? Yeah, just empty. Yeah. And then we fill it with Instagram and things like that. Wow. So, but that's not the uh, end. Quiet, uh, lives of quiet desperation. Here's we'll move to number two because you're getting sad. I can I can hear it. So lives I'm, of I'm quiet prone, desperation. I'm Who was that? Emerson. I don't remember Thoreau. Emerson. Emerson. One of those guys. Most men live lives of quiet desperation. Mm. Yeah. Teddy Hampshire would know if he listened. Okay, number two. <laughs> number two. I don't think he listens, but number two. Uh, the Great Cry, Why Suffering? This is the name of, a, of uh, one of the chapters, and I really, I really liked this one. Um, so he has a section in the book on suffering. And uh, 
so he's relating this religious sense and this desire for transcendence as it engages the really the great question, which is suffering, and uh, how do we make sense of this? He's got a couple just beautiful lines here. To be human is to be an incarnate why. So when you're, if you're a human being, you are an incarnate why, a question. You're a question. And I think that as we approach these hard things like suffering, really hard, and this is where Hitchens was trying to nail him, you know, on suffering. What about this? What about this? How could God exist? And it's like, well, let's start from the perspective of I am a why. I'm a question. I'm not an answer. And I don't make the answer. And so suffering becomes this dialogue with mystery, as he would call it. Mm. And he, uh, he says, we can eliminate suffering in three ways. And I thought this was a nice little treatment. We'll try and break this down real quick. Number one, so we have suffering. We, everybody suffers. We experience this. And, uh, and then there's three different ways that we kind of deal with this. So he says, number one, you eliminate the source of the pain. Number two, you suppress the question. Number three, you suppress the self. And then he breaks down about which of the three. So when we deal with the questions of suffering, um, we have to just ask that. Like, what are we doing? So if, if you're suffering today in your life, and it could be anything, you know, it could be family stuff, marriage, it could be work, whatever it might be. The three ways you're going to try and escape out of that are kill the pain, medicate it, mm-hmm. just have, just eat a couple, 3.5 pounds of um, Sour Patch Kids tonight, have a couple bottles of Makers, right? Eliminate the pain. That's one option, medicate. Number two, suppress the question, right? And this is the one that he hates. He said, I reject it totally, strongly, passionately, completely, unreservedly, and always in all circumstances. That's a direct quote. That's very clear. That's very clear. And uh, so that's, that's the saddest thing, that second way of just get rid of the question. Yeah, I mean, with the first one, I thought, well, there are, there are times when it's good to... It's good to treat the pain, you know, like, mm-hmm. if, I mean, we go to the doctor, that's a good thing. Um, but that's not something you can always treat. You know, mm-hmm. our friend, our friend, Father Goronsky died. It's not something like you go to the doctor and you get over it or something mm-hmm. or fix it or something. Um, and it wouldn't obviously be healthy to medicate or, you know, somehow treat that to escape you know, or like escape that somehow. But... I thought, well, the first one, I'm not so... That doesn't seem like it's the worst thing. But the second one sounds cold. The second one is the really scary one. And I would, I would say that um, that's where most people go. Uh, and the third one, real quick, suppress the self. So that's like a Buddhist approach. Um, oh, okay. We just, okay. And he even says, he's like, I would be most tempted if I wasn't a Christian to go that way. And I think I would agree with that. Well, just know? to explain quickly, that would be something like... Um, convince yourself that you don't matter, and so your pain doesn't matter. Right. Nothing. Nothing is. Nothing meaning. matters. Nothing. Nothing matters. Nothing is meaning. All contingent being is suffering. That's straight up teaching, you know. Um, and so you just you have to learn to escape selfhood, right? Being and to come into nirvana and to be free of this. So that that's uh, and again, De Lubac says that that's the highest natural religious. T- sense without re- revealed religion is Buddhism. So mm. we hold that, I mean, there's a, we hold that with esteem, but we say that's, that's not, that's, escaping is not the answer. And Balthazar says that, actually, I, I get on tangent here, but he says, uh, um, your three options really are Buddhism. He, he, he just checked. I just got a text. He, he just checked the text. This is like, we used to have a rule at our table. If, if you table text, 
then somebody gets to grab your phone and throw it across the room. You can grab the computer, but that's going to be problematic for our... Uh, yeah, I won't, I won't check it. I won't check it. We just got the little ding, ding. Buddhism, communism, and Christianity. That's what his three... He says, this is your options. Pure faith, pure hope, or pure love. Because the Christian says, from faith to hope to love. So the three are there. The other two yeah. short circuit it quicker, but that's a totally another podcast. So leave that. Don't even go down. I yeah, see. Yeah, I see yeah, that in I your eyes. I, I can see you being. Oh, he's oh, an exit. Exciting. It's okay. Good, anyways, it's a good quote. So there's there's a question here. Suffering is not the same as pain, but the way that we get rid of it is these three ways: get rid of the pain, suppress the question, or suppress the self. And again, all three of those are not going to satisfy the human heart, because at the end of the day, as he says, "quote Suffering is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived." Mm. So the purpose of suffering is not to escape suffering. That's the cross, baby. That's what, that's what we're about. When we look at that crucifix right there, that's from France. That's a nice one, huh? My mom got me yeah, that. It is Happy birthday, mom. Oh, 20, thanks. Yeah, 29 yeah, yeah, years yeah, yeah. old today. Mary I remember. Apple. I remember when my cousin Jeff walked in, and we were, at, we were brushing our teeth, and we asked my mom. We were probably seven. I was probably seven. And we said, how old are you? And she said, 29. And my cousin Jeff was probably like, a sophomore in high school and he just was like she's not 29 she's blank and we were just like <gasps> so she never forgave him oh no <laughs> but she's still 29 to Mary us. you're looking good happy you birthday are, mom you uh, are a wonderful person and a tennis and pro she's ready to play you in tennis we'll see I never played that championship over here oh really know. well maybe there's still a week anyway well, Mary I'm training look out he's training happy birthday too <laughs> Happy birthday. Okay, last last word on suffering, then we'll go to the final one, then we'll wrap this thing up. Wait a minute. Hold on. I want to go back to that one, though. Which one? Suffering. Yeah, this one is rejecting the question. Because I'm, I'm thinking of, like, okay, a lot of people, skeptics, you get to a certain age, and then you say, mm, I figured it out. I can trump religion. Right. How can how can God exist if there's suffering? Is that suffering how you talk when you, when you get there? You talk Oh, like... I'm just a, so smart. Um, that's what is that? My smug, smart I like voice. It. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you think you're clever, you, and right. and you're actually dealing with a real problem. You know, that that's a, a, a classic problem. Um, but does Hitchens have any less suffering if he figures out that this is a problem for religion? You know, if he says, "I'm going to get angry at religion because it hasn't satisfied my." frustration with my own suffering has he actually dealt with the question no so i'm just i just want to point out that this is a false solution to this pretending to take seriously the problem of suffering by going after religion right you know yeah that's actually not dealing with your own suffering you you don't have to ask why am i suffering this um you just get angry about suffering generally you know and kind of defer the question. So I encourage anyone out there who's who's in that position to, um, I don't know, be be more honest about. It. Yeah. Be more honest about your own suffering, and not just like make it somebody else's problem. Right. And uh, I understand that perspective. Like when Christians come across, especially like the the non-Catholic, non-denominational thing in the United States, can come across as like I found Jesus, I got it all together. Yeah. My life is figured out. It's the health and wealth gospel. And no more that's suffering. That's why health and wealth gospel, yeah, there's really, no more suffering yeah, that's because I know Jesus. Now I'm rich, and I'm totally healthy, and I drive a Ferrari, and I'm a pastor of a parish. 
I don't blame you for being a really angry atheist looking at that, because that is a total perversion of the gospel. But, like you're saying, Hitchens doesn't have an answer. He's just trying to unmask everything. And this is Nietzsche's project. This is Freud. This is the masters of suspicion of the last, who, who now have formed uh, our world. They don't have answers. They just, they just mock the questions. Yeah. That's what Nietzsche does. He mocks the questions of the human heart. That's scary. Mm. Um, so I'm with you. It's less human. Yeah. Suffering is when we seek to understand pain and we have to let ourselves feel. That comes back to that whole thing about desire. We talk about eros and we think lovey-dovey, you know, we want to be loved and romance and stuff, but part of desire means you let yourself suffer. You let yourself feel, you know. Mm. So I had to read that book, The Giver, when I was a kid. Did you read that book? Yeah, I don't remember. I hated reading as a kid. Lois Lowry. I hated that book. I don't know if it's good. I have no idea. But the point (laughs) of the book was this. You have to, like, let yourself you gotta feel, feel something like that. Okay, you gotta here we go. be vulnerable. Be be willing to be hurt to be able to love. That's right. Okay, the final part. Beyond religion. His last thing is, you know, the religious sense is is part of the stru- existential structure within us. But we're not just about being religious, right? Because religiosity takes a lot of different forms. We're about faith, you know, which means that there's this encounter with this person who claims to be the fulfillment of all human desire. Mm-hmm. And that's where he starts to go with the infinite and the mysterious breaking into the human search. Religiosity in some ways is like man searching upwards, but the Christian faith is about the descent, God's descent and breaking into our life. And that's where we see Mary, because you know all I do is Mary stuff right now. I'm just reading about mm-hmm. Mary in the church, but Mary is the mirrors God's inner life, in her perfect reception. And so the act of Christian faith is not just about this religious searching for transcendence, but it, the perfection of that comes in receiving God's initiation. And we know this. Anybody who's studied, mm. who studied a little theology or studied the faith understands this, that it's all inverted, but it's all yeah. paradoxically uh, fulfilled in Christ. And that's but where that shift like, has to happen. Some sort of when, when you say faith, you're not talking about like deciding to believe against all reason or something like that. Because this is, this is the accusation that will come from these, um, these anti-religion mm-hmm. kind of, I believe in science people. Well, your faith is naive. It's just choosing to believe something that you find irrational. And that's not, exa- that's not at all what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you're saying this is an act of trust that what I know to be true of God's um, descent, which is kind of, uh, is, it is supernatural. It's kind of beyond what I could, could know myself, but right. God has come to us and revealed things. Um, it, it's an act of trust that God is really there and that God is, um, has, in fact, revealed himself to us right. and that uh, he's accessible in various, uh, in various kind of, ways that we get to him and through religion. But that, yeah, I just want to distinguish between that, that act of trust in God's descent rather than our reducing faith to... I mean, people use faith all kinds of crazy right, ways. Right. Are you a person of faith? Meaning right. something really cheap, like right. do you just decide to believe things because you ought to or something? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's spot on. We have to reaffirm the reasonableness of faith in our day, mm-hmm. that this is not a contradiction. 
And um, and so much as it's a leap, it's not a leap beyond reason. We were talking about Kierkegaard earlier and his book, uh, Fear and Trembling. And without going on a tangent here, he, uh, he talks about the teleological suspension. You have to kind of suspend everything and then make this leap into darkness. Kind of. But you never, it transcends reason, but it doesn't contradict reason. It's, right. it's, and that's John Paul wrote that fetus at ratio, that encyclical on that. So yeah, the reasonableness of faith. And when you see it, when your heart is alive, the, and I remember watching this in RCIA, I had just amazed with some of the people who came through. And when their hearts are rehabilitated and free, and their desires are there, the desire for the transcendent, the desire for the infinite, when it's really vibrant and functioning, then the, the act of faith and the reception of the incarnate word in Christ is the most reasonable thing anybody could do. Mm, yeah. But when you're shut down and the questions are suppressed, it looks insane, you know. Mm. So I think that's what Albacete's project is. Let's get the hearts rehabilitated. Let's do it over cappuccinos, wherever we're doing it. Yeah. And then it'll be, and then that shift will happen where all of a sudden they're more free to, to yeah. make that reasonable yet beautiful step in grace into the life of faith. Basticosi. Beautiful. Thank you, Albacete. That book's yours. Thank you, Vincenzo Petricelli. I have uh, two more shout-outs, if that's okay. Yeah, please. We I got a, one, too. We have a stockpile of Maker's Mark over there, thanks to two people. The Drake family, who uh, right. just came to town, and I had a nice mass of them. And I think they're thanks, Drake. I guess Susan Scott Drake, and they're wonderful family. Uh, and then our friend, Father Giuseppe Lejoie. Oh, yes. Our favorite... Our favorite uh, well, I was going to say Glenwood Springite, but now he's uh, he's moving. Historic Littleton, Colorado. We got to celebrate his birthday with him. Wonderful to be with you, Lajoie. We you miss should, you. You're not supposed to bring us gifts. We're supposed to give you gifts. Yeah, and look at the size of that thing. That is a big bottle of makers. Lajoie, you the man. Out of Lajoie. And then lastly, well, I'll save this last. I'm going to save it for the next one because we're done. And we got another podcast. Oh, I got to one do. too. That's, okay, yeah. Well, I want to just I just want to shout out to the um, Pilgrim Group from Craig Meeker in Rangeley, Colorado, who were delightful. This last week, I had the joy of uh, re-encountering. I had the uh, pleasure of serving them as, uh, as the priest and Craig Meeker and Rangeley for two years, and uh, know most of these people. They came to Rome. A lot of them got out of their comfort zone, flying overseas for the first time, traveling for a while, and uh, with Father Jason Wunsch. So um, it was a great time. I think they really enjoyed it. They grew closer to God and. Such a joy to see them. So I know some of you listen to the podcast. So thank you for coming and uh, being so kind to me. It was great to see them. It was great to meet them. Tyler Dildine, especially. Always, yeah, Tyler always Dildine. Enjoy to see Claire Danny, I know you listen. Claire, all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thanks for the uh, fanny pack. Oh, the fanny pack, yeah. Well, that's good. It was great to have them. And uh, yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll record one more and then we'll be off to Germany and we'll, we'll see you, uh, catch you in Colorado after that. We'll be back. Die nächste Zeit. Die nächste Zeit. Ist ja. auf Deutsch. Auf Deutsch. Next Alt. Next Alt. The story of my crap. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. We will see you next week. Ciao.